Harlots of History contains explicit language, overtly sexual themes, and sensitive subject matter. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to Harlots of History, a show by women for everyone, except children and pets, including our own. This show is created by our love of the shadier, inventive, and bold women, men, and non-binary humans that you cannot find in the history books. We will be exploring and educating ourselves, and hopefully our listeners, on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, and of course, harlots. We will delve into their pasts, sordid or honorable, discussing the era that they happen to live in and the problems of the times. Be ready for some controversial figures. You may be surprised at how many harlots in history you end up loving or at least begrudgingly respect. So sit back, grab a fizzy drink, some salty snacks, and have some fun listening to Harlots of History, taking back the word harlot one episode at a time. My name's Karamia. I'm a stay-at-home mama three, former sommelier. I always call myself a reformed punk kid, still reforming. You're not reformed. I was going to say. <laughs> You're not reformed. You own like seven pairs of Doc Martens. I think I have 10 now. <laughs> oh, all of our kids each own like four pairs. Exactly. So collectively, we probably have like 25 pairs in this household. <laughs> and Doc Martens, we are willing to Oh my gosh, please, please. It's the only sponsorship I've ever wanted in my life. Yeah, she she really is a, a I announced candidate. I announced my second child using Doc Martens. So. Yeah. And I also think that you've been responsible for converting like at least 10 people I'm aware of, not including your tiny children, to be Doc Martens. <laughs> They're the best pregnancy shoes. I never had swollen feet while I was wearing them and well, working on my feet. <laughs> Doc Martens, sponsor us. Oh, and also I'm Emily. <laughs> um, I am a stay-at-home bartender and stay-at-home dog mom. And Karamia's best friend. And Karamia's best friend. <laughs> best friend. Best um, friend, godmother to my children. Yeah. At least taking up being a godmother to all of them. <laughs> yeah, and she is a godmother to all of my fur babies. So you are the cutest. We are also a little bit like one drink in, one large drink in. One large drink in. So yeah, all right. Loosen us up. Yep. We're loose. Let's go. We have been dealing with some real heavy people for our first episodes. And the show is to talk about women who are on the other side of history, especially back in the day. Women didn't have many ways to raise their standing in society. And one of those ways was largely by using what was given to them, their bodies. And instead of condemning women for it and condemning women for, you know, doing these things, we want to talk about them and then we will condemn them if they should be condemned. (laughs) But uh, so today, going forward with that, we are talking about Ava Braun. I just want to go ahead before I even start talking about Ava Braun to say we all know that Hitler was like the worst person ever. And because Ava Braun was his mistress, she is also one of the worst people ever. And if I don't say that enough during this recording, I am sorry, but I just wanted to go ahead and say like this, me talking about Ava Braun and the nuances of her character, it may humanize her, but that does not take away from her participation and how, you know, she is accountable for everything that happened. Right. That's a really good point. And I think this 
whole idea started of us wanting to shed light on originally mistresses of the men that are famous in our history, but that shedding light doesn't always shed them in the best light rather than just, you know, there were many, many people that were complicit and she is definitely one of them. So she needs to be talked about. And, you know, Ava Braun is a a perfect example of how women actually, especially back in the history, they're just like, okay, they were standing beside the man, but they weren't making decisions with the man. But it's also, like we said before, that doesn't mean you still don't hold their worldviews and you still don't regard their policies as true. And, you know, you may know what they're doing and that just makes you just as accountable. Right. Mm -hmm. So So, what are we drinking for this episode? Well, I'm just drinking a extremely large tumbler of wine because uh, sorry, German people, I am not into Jägermeister and I couldn't find a good cocktail to go with this. And I am super familiar with Riesling. I adore Riesling. I adore all the levels of sweetness in Riesling. And I do like a good German beer, but my local Safeway just really didn't set me up for success when it came to those things. I mean, so, and also like you just have to be, you ha- you had to buy a box of wine and that's totally fine. Yep. Had to had a traumatic hiking experience with my children yesterday. So yeah, you did. Wine it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I completely applaud that. I'm drinking a German Riesling that is a late harvest Riesling because it was originally $19 and it was like on sale for $9.99. It's really sweet. And I also don't think I poured enough of it for this episode. So, and I am applauding you for drinking that without food well i did eat uh we just recorded our first episode before this so i ate a bunch of cheese and a handful <laughs> of trail mix i did i did the same as i just cut <laughs> off like a bunch of chunks of cheese and then ate a handful of something else i did the That's exact exactly same thing what i did i was gonna try to like squeeze a pizza in there because I I got a pizza from Trader Joe's because I knew we'd be recording these episodes together and drinking. And I was like, I, I'm not going to cook dinner. I need pizza, but it took like 30 minutes to cook. So it's, it's ready for me when we're done. And I might have to text Matt to bring me more wine in the middle of this, but you know, it's that's just fine. That's what he's there for. <laughs> that's what live-in partners are there for. <laughs> so are we ready to start and take the deep dive into the not-so-lovely person that is Ava Braun. Let's do it. So just a quick little synopsis in the beginning. Ava Braun was Adolf Hitler's mistress of 14 or 15 years, and she was unknown by the world until her death. She's still largely a mystery, as most of the letters and papers and her personal correspondence were destroyed. My sources, just to generalize them in the beginning, were, of course, Wikipedia, an article in The Independent by Katie Guest, and excerpts from Ava Braun, Life with Hitler, by German historian Heike B. I am going to butcher this last name, Gordemaker. 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 I so apologize. (laughs) I am not German. Okay, so uh, in 1929, 40-year-old Adolf Hitler who was then leader of the National Socialist German Workers' Party, so not yet the Nazi party, but the makings of it, visited the photography shop of Heinrich Hoffmann. Uh, Heinrich was Hitler's personal photographer. He was actually responsible for uh, building up Hitler's image. I think I need a personal photographer. Right? I think everybody does. (laughs) I mean, I think that when we lived together, you were my personal photographer. Same. And then... 
now are like your husband and Matt. But, but Matt failing miserably. They are failing miserably. Boyfriends and husbands just can't do what best friends can do. <laughs> cannot. So were Heinrich and Hitler best friends? No, they were just. I you'll see. Um, Hitler smartly built himself up like a safety net of really trusted people, and Heinrich was one of them. It can be suggested that Avar Eva Braun was planted in Hitler's life by this entourage, and we will later find out why. Well, Hoffman had just employed 17-year-old Eva Braun, who was fresh out of convent school. God damn it. Okay. There are many stories about how they met. I chose to take a lot of their stories and just blend them together, because what if they were all true? So it was said that Eva was standing on a ladder when Hoffman introduced Hitler to her. And he was introduced as Herr Wolf, like Mr. Wolf. Oh Uh, my gosh. That is the most accurate thing ever. Right. And Eva did not know who Hitler was. He was known at the time, but really not famous. Herr Wolf was smitten with the Aryan girl with nice legs. And as you know, Aryan's just a really nice way to say she had blonde hair, blue eyes, pale skin. Yeah. And it was also said that Hoffman asked her to run out to go buy some beer and Lieberkase, a Bavarian meatloaf for the important guest. I want some Bavarian meatloaf right now. (laughs) It's amazing, right? And it is said that her first words to him were guten appetit. Uh, Like good eating, good. Yeah. He was 23 years her senior. This was the start of a relationship that would define Braun's life. There was a really cool quote by Katie Guest in that independent article regarding women who attach themselves to monsters. Their love humanizes the man and dehumanizes themselves, which I thought was a really cool quote that could be applied to so many women. (laughs) Yeah, it is really, really, I, I think it's so applicable. And like, especially for the topic of this podcast in general, that mm-hmm. that's amazing. It's it's so true. It seems like it seems like that's a common thread. I feel like men being like, oh, I need a woman to you know control me, and then or to you know or to even um just boost my image, right? Yeah, that actually makes sense because you think of Hitler as like if you thought of him as like a single man versus him having a girlfriend slash wife, it's like, well, he could love. So I mean, obviously, he was a terrible, terrible monster, but. How could he be capable of love when he was capable of so much hate? Right, right, exactly. And that's what's very interesting about this because at the end of this episode, you know, there is a different facet to Hitler's character, but it also in a way makes him more evil and chilling because when you see someone being so normal yet committing such atrocities, it, it just gives you a chill. Right. So uh, Eva... Anna Paula Braun, but she became Hitler, was born in 1912 to a lower middle-class Bavarian family in Munich. She was raised Roman Catholic, and she was the second daughter between sisters Isel and Gretel. The 1910s and the 1920s were a really chaotic time to grow up in Germany. There was the First World War, there was the blockade of Germany, periods of famine, the abolishment of the federal constitutional monarchy, and hyperinflation. Well, I don't know anything here. about about German history. Well, and I mean, but just listening to that, you're like, hmm, yeah, that's probably a lot. don't want to grow up in that time. That's yeah, that's a lot of things. And her parents actually divorced only to remarry in 1922, most likely for the financial strain placed on the family because of hyperinflation. They said she had an average upbringing. She did not have an affinity for schoolwork. 
and received average grades. She loved dancing, which Hitler loathed. Gross. Gymnastics, Hollywood movies, and romance novels. She had a talent for athletics and was an accomplished swimmer and skier. From Hitler's view, I'm sure that young Eva held the potential of the ideal Nazi woman, which was a homemaker. Yeah, I mean, honestly, she just sounds like a girl from Sweet Valley High or something. She's a very vapid girl in her youth, right? which is fine. Yeah. Most of us are. Yeah, 17 is incredibly young, especially <laughs> to be involved with a sociopathic mass murderer. Exactly. And so from that point, I just kind of wanted to jump into the female roles in Nazi Germany, uh, because obviously that did shape Eva as Hitler came into her life at age 17. And so the ideal German woman was not called that. They were called a German maiden, which I just find a little bit cringy. Yeah, I don't like it. Hitler's roles for women in a Nazi Germany were really limited and really simple. In a New York article by Emily Greenhouse called The Perfect Nazi Bride, they talk about the the really specific propaganda that were aimed at women by the Nazi party and its Fuhrer, which is just another lovely name for Hitler. The woman's world is a smaller world, Hitler put it at a party conference in Nuremberg in a speech to the National Socialist Women's League. But what would become of the greater world if there were no one to tend and care for the smaller one? How could the greater world survive if there were no one to make the cares of the smaller world the content content of their lives. I hate that. I hate hate everything Hitler ever did or said or thought or dreamt, but right. And it's just, it's it's like just seeing how he's like trying to make the women's role. Right. But it's like, it's like, but you're still doing just as much as us, but it's smaller. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I just think like a circle inside a circle where it's like women just, you have to focus on this tiny little circle. So this big circle can grow. And your circle is really important. It's just really, really small. Right. And actually, um, in order to get married under the Nazi regime, you had to be Aryan and had to follow the specific setup by the Nazi regime regarding so, women. I'm not going to get too much into it, but yeah, it's actually, it's, it's pretty gross. So if you didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes. Or accept the Nazi regime, you, you couldn't get married. During that time in that history. Yeah. So uh, Hermann Goring, another lovely person, that's sarcasm, said in the nine commandments of the workers' struggle, take hold of the frying pan, dustpan, and broom and marry a man. I'm going to take hold of my wine glass and chug it. (laughs) Right? Amen to that. God damn it. And there was actually a school that was a model household made in 1937 to train women in the ways of a household and the Nazi dogma. The course consisted that women acquire special knowledge of race and genetics. And I just wrote blah, 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 because I couldn't bear to read any more of what that school taught. Yeah. Like everything else they did. That's pretty terrible. The reason why I'm covering this is that blonde hair, blue eyed Eva must have met these ideals in order to have a relationship with Hitler. Okay. Right. Right. And then Eva's father, Fritz, was a Catholic school teacher and was initially not a fan of the new nationalism sweeping the country. And he was not happy that his daughter was seeing Adolf Hitler. He actually wrote a letter to Hitler regarding the disapproval of the relationship and was frank with the Nazi leader that a young woman of Eva's age belonged at home with her family. Yeah, I mean, she certainly doesn't belong with Hitler. Right. He changed his opinion after some time. And that's because he uh, kind of realized that his daughter 
being in bed with the most powerful man in Germany had its advantages. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. He actually became an officer in the German army and was a frequent guest at the Bergorf or Berghof. Again, I'm going to be butchering all these German names. Hitler's residence in the Bavarian Alps. So yeah, her dad initially had some resistance, but you know, obviously no one can resist Hitler at this time if you are living in Germany. Right. Next, we're going to take a little deep dive into the woman that Hitler was with before he was with Eva. And this relationship definitely hung over their relationship for, you know, the rest of their lives because uh, this relationship was a very important one to Hitler. And even though Eva's relationship with him was really important, this was said to be the one true great love of his life. And this was Geli Rabal. And when Hitler met Eva's legs on the ladder in Hoffman's <laughs> photography shop, he was actually still involved with Geli Rabal. And this is the love of his life. This was said to be the love of his life. Everything's okay. just a claim, you know, because all that, that personal correspondent and a lot of those papers and stuff, they were all destroyed. So this is all from the people that are were either in Hitler's entourage, his family, her family, their friends. I mean, arguably, he was a sociopath, psychopath. Could he even have a love of his life? True love. Exactly. So yeah. this is, again, a bit of a detour, but super interesting. Gelly was Hitler's half-niece. No. Her family fell on some tough financial times, and her mother, Angela, who was Hitler's half-sister, moved them in to Hitler's apartments in Munich because she became his housekeeper. Oh, they no. lived together from 1929 until her suicide at age 23 in 1931. The, the, the half-niece, Gelly, committed suicide at age 23. Okay, so like it was his half-sister's daughter. daughter. So his half-niece, which is oh. just like a really, I mean, it's her, in today's, we would just call it her, his niece, but pretty much half yeah, like is I, just saying that they're of blood. Yeah. I have a half-brother who is. If he had a kid. Brother. God. Wah. Nope. Yep. Yep. So this relationship is believed to be the most intense in Hitler's life, his great love. He was incredibly possessive and domineering of her. Yeah, I feel like love might not be the best word for that. Right. Yeah. Lust, ownership. Yeah, there you go. She left the apartment. She was watched over by him or someone he trusted. It is thought that she was pretty much a prisoner. He forbade her from moving to Vienna to continue singing lessons, and he terminated her relationship with the man she loved. A huge argument in September 1931 ended with her committing suicide with his gun. Wow. It is debated whether there was a sexual relationship between them or not, but there seems to be strong evidence suggesting that there was. William Stuart Houston, who was a son of Adolf's brother, so Adolf's nephew, not from... It was a different nephew. Different, yeah, different nephew from a different... Yeah, Adolf's brother, not his sister, was quoted as saying, when I visited Berlin in 1931... The family was in trouble. Everyone knew that Hitler and she had long been intimate and that she had been expecting a child, a fact that enraged Hitler. So is there hear, like hearsay, but that, yeah, like that Hitler and his niece were expecting. Well, is there a possibility that she was expecting with the other guy that she, I mean, like I said, they're, they're totally I mean, could have been exactly almost a hundred years ago, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could have been the cause of it, and then they could have just never had a sexual relationship. But, yep, but definitely there was a sexual tension in their relationship, and he felt some type of latent ownership over her. Hitler just seems like someone that could have been completely impotent 
Like, I don't see him as a sexual... Not at all. And that that's the purpose of his propaganda, though, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are claims that there was evidence that Gelly's nose had been broken and that even people claim that Hitler may have killed her for trying to leave his influence. But that's dipping into conspiracy theories. I mean, I love a good conspiracy right? theory. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, who's to say? Hitler was a monster. Anything could have happened. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Hitler was in a deep depression after her death, and he literally threw himself into politics, you know, when he was refocusing himself. Right. Uh, this previous relationship is important because I believe it is a huge factor into the reasons why, spoiler alert, Eva Braun tried to commit suicide twice. Yeah. Before her. I mean- eventual suicide which was her third and final attempt (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem surprising to me that someone who was in this type of relationship let alone you know one with adolf hitler would attempt and then eventually complete suicide because i imagine that it was just horrible and toxic and it sounds like she was under his ownership well and also i mean someone doesn't lightly go into a relationship with Hitler. I mean, there has to be, you know, we all have to acknowledge that to become the leader that Hitler did, he did have a certain kind of poisonous charisma. And so you can't go go into a relationship with Hitler lightly. You're all in or all out. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I just, as like a typical abusive relationship. It just seems like it was one of those things that could have been like, he obviously had some sort of charisma. I mean, as with the entire country, like he obviously had some sort of charisma that attracted them. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes into here. Yeah. So um, he started really seeing Eva after his niece's Gelly's suicide. And there was a really urgent need to get rid of the potential scandal for his party. You know, his, his party saw that this could have been a really big scandal, you know, his his right. half niece that he could or could have not been seeing committed suicide. She could or could have not been with child. He may or may not have killed her. So they had to really get rid of that and get Adolf's life, his private life, back to normal. Heinrich Hoffman, the photographer, introduced Eva, possibly because she did have a lot of similar looks to and similar characteristics to Gelly. Hitler took comfort. Blonde, blue eyes, Aaron. Yeah. yeah. Hitler took comfort in her company. A lot of people theorize that she was his rebound, but you know, when they are still together 14 years later, that's a really long rebound. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Hitler really imagined himself as married to Germany. He thought his first duty was to the German people. And during the beginning of the relationship, he was incredibly busy and growing more popular was setting the groundwork for the Second World War. He was made Chancellor of Germany in 1933, and the Enabling Act of 1933 was passed creating Nazi Germany. And this was all during their beginning of the relationship. So uh, Hitler's visits were very occasional. Eva had to compete for his attention and was very much the hysterical, codependent girl we all are in our first real relationship. Yeah. Except, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about the early today. I mean, mass murdering aside, I feel like that clingy codependent is very typical of a 17 year old's relationship. Right. Where, you know, you, you just can't be without them and they're the love of your lives and like they're gone and you think you're never going to see them again. Exactly. And who are they with and what are they doing? It's just that yeah. most Why of that man for us back? is in a mass murderer. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> it just puts it into like a, a like, cause we can relate, but at the same time, it's just, yeah. I mean, neither I, of our first relationships were with mass murderers. 
thankfully. They were horrible but, people, but yeah, no, I mean, horrible horrible people. yeah, yeah. But, but also like, yeah, when you're that young too, and again, goes to that like thing of your brain not being developed. And she obviously was not, she stayed with him, but it was clearly an abusive relationship. Emotionally I mean. at least. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no way it couldn't have been. He was a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was definitely pining for him and we all pined for our first relationship, except we were not pining for Hitler. <laughs> right. Nope. Never pining for Hitler. Right. And Eva really took her desperation to some extreme measures, which I mean, I'm, I can only surmise and theorize that this really showed some sort of chemical imbalance. Um, she, in August of 1932, and remember, Gelly's suicide was like in the beginning of 19, 1931, 1930. Like, this is like right oh, after each other. Year. So it's like, hey, let's, lo- yeah. So she they, she was laying it on thick. Um, August of 1932, she shot herself in the chest with her father's pistol. What? This is Eva. Yes. Most believe that the suicide attempt was not serious, but a ploy to get Hitler's attention. A ploy? If it was a ploy, shoot yourself in the leg, not in the chest. But in a way it worked because Hitler became more committed to her and they became lovers or she his mistress in 1932. So hold on. She was trying to get him to commit and he wouldn't. So she shot herself in the chest. And he really couldn't afford a scandal. So he was actually quoted as saying... Now I must look after her. <laughs> oh my God. That's so codependent and toxic. I mean, right for everyone all around. And oh so let, let's just, and I got a bunch of quotes from Braun in the earlier part of her relationship with Hitler. And this is just so angsty young woman, but it's just like when you realize the power that this woman actually held, it just makes it all the more chilling. So uh, these are some of the quotes from her and I would do a young woman's voice, but that just gets too cringy. When he says he loves me, it only means he loves me at that particular instant. Like his promises, which he never keeps. Why does he torment me like this when he could finish it off at once? Wow. Right? Another one. He has so often told me he's madly in love with me. But what does that mean when I haven't heard a good word from him in three months? Well, this, I mean... Yeah, that honestly just sounds like every girl's diary entry from like age 17, 18, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm racking my brains to find out why he left without saying goodbye to me. Yeah. We were in the bathroom and then he left and yeah, he was bombing some country, right? Yeah. So murdering tons of people. And then here's another one that just shows like, you know, how like these things are like so dual, you know, I am so infinitely happy that he loves me so much. And I pray that it will always be like this. It won't be my fault if he ever stops loving me. I mean, you're right. It won't be your fault. Yeah. That I mean, yeah, just shows how much she identified herself with this person, even when he wasn't committed to her. Well, too, and the fact that we said he was 21. So what he was, he's 23 years older than her. So what, he's 40 at this time? He was 40 when she was 17, and that was in 1929, and they really began their relationship in 1932, which what put her at like age 20, 21, which put him at like 43, 44, 45. He was a 40-year-old man when she was a 17-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... And they didn't have yeah. a... Sec- it's not known if they had a sexual relationship at that time. They really didn't become committed to each other until like three or four years later. Yeah. I mean, like I said, like I, I just can't see Hitler as having a sexual relationship with anyone. Right. 
Well, and um, like I said, the most interesting thing about the relationship to me is the fact that the German people and the world did not know of the relationship until their deaths in 1945, which was 14, 15 years later after they had resumed their relationship. And this was because Hitler wanted to present himself as celibate and as the chaste hero. He actually believed he was sexually attractive to women and wanted to exploit this for his political gain. Cool, 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 cool. Right? As much how women in modern times feel if like a celebrity playboy, and I'm so sorry to do this, but like how women felt when George Clooney married, you know, it's just like George Clooney was the perennial playboy that didn't get married until his forties. Much like George Clooney to Hitler. (laughs) I just this aspect of George Clooney. Right. Yeah. Of like this, like unattainable man in power. Uh Huh? You know? Yeah. That I believe that women would throw themselves more into the Nazi regime and to all its you know, he was accessible, they would jump into his arms. Yeah. It's kinda like diabolical if you think about it. It's actually pretty in Oh. Yeah. But yeah. And there's That's actually right on this brand for him. Right. Super yeah. on brand. Love it. Super on brand. Yeah. <laughs> so there's actually a myth during you know, that women were so entranced by Hitler's charisma that some would reach climax during his speeches. But no. I mean, I mean, this, I mean, people said that like, you remember how like people, women used to faint during the Beatles sets. So I have okay. no idea. That whole climax, like during her set is the same thing as like, you know, romance novels where women just have orgasms the first time they have sex. That, that is, like I said, myth. Yeah. Myth. Same myth as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first time, then yeah, myth, myth. Yeah, they just automatically come immediately during the first time they have sex. Everything is amazing, right? But I'm of the more modern opinion that I think just exactly what you're saying. Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. He was Hitler. Hitler was a plain puritanical prude. I mean, I honestly don't really know what Eva saw in him, but like. Even with what we were talking about with Epstein, uh, power and money go a long way. Yeah, and it's easy for us, like as outsiders, I think, to cast judgment. Yeah, well, and and look at another. Even though we've had experiences ourselves, look at an abusive relationship and know how that how it is playing out. I mean, it was obviously very toxic on both sides. Exactly. You know, definitely. And yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I obviously don't think like I would never have dated Hitler, but like as a 17 year old, you do stupid shit. Oh like, my gosh. Yes, you do. <laughs> and then when, yeah. And like when you're in that first love and again, you will not, do anything for that first love. Yeah. Again, not excusing you for Braun. live without it. Yeah. Right, like she was very clearly complicit in the happenings of Nazi Germany, so not giving her a free pass, but I think trying to look a little bit more into like where her mind was at, and like her mind was just her brain was not fully developed. No, she and was she, she literally, her brain developed and she grew into the woman that she became, literally in the thick of the Nazi regime and right under Hitler's thumb, which I think is, you know, fascinating. Um, but Hitler really, if he was seen as celibate, you know, he was never, he never publicly attached himself to Eva Braun um, because he wanted to be like single-mindedly devoted 
to the cause of like, you know, German nationality. They never appeared as a couple in public. There was never seen to be any PDA between them, not even in their private residences or among the people they trusted. There was only one published photo in the news of them. And that was in 1936 at the Winter Olympics. And she was part of his entourage. So it wasn't even like they were side by side. Yeah, it was just like a bunch of people and she was there also. And what is really interesting is that Eva Braun had a career which was really influential in who she was and actually really played into the Nazi regime. So as we know, she started working for Hoffman in his photography shop. And so she actually in 1933, so this was, you know, a couple years later after she started working for him, she became a photographer and this enabled her to kind of as a you know, guys travel with Hitler's entourage. And she actually became a photographer for the Nazi party. But because, you know, she was so intimate with Hitler, she actually got many of the well-known like photographs that we know of him today. And she became immensely rich because she was able to sell these photographs that she got back to Hoffman. So she was kind of like rich on her own. She like, I mean, she of Hitler, but like... Yeah, she was using him to like further her own career. What was really weird is that she was the one that got all the photographs of Hitler in domestic settings. So like anytime you see him in like a state of rest or relaxation or concentration or with his German shepherd Blondie, uh, those were hers. And she also took... Oh my God, Blondie was his German shepherd. I, Blondie with an eye. Yes, that's Blondie with an eye. That's like Kelly with an eye. Ugh. And she was also like really obsessive about taking home movies with like it's called like a cine camera. So like a really like early version of like a video camera. Yeah, I can imagine those, the old timey ones. And the thing that was so crazy is that these videos weren't really known to the public because they were lost for decades and they were actually discovered in 1972 in a discarded heap in the National Archives vault of uncatalogued 16 millimeter film. So in DC, her old discovered home movies, Eva Hitler's were discovered in DC in a, like an unclaimed, an uncatalogued vault of 16 millimeter film. And they were in an old aircraft hangar and they were discovered by Lutz Becker and he was actually a child of the Holocaust. Um, so it was wow. a very, you know, mixed emotions discovery for him. And this is all cataloged in a really great article by The Guardian, in The Guardian, by Robert McCrum and Taylor Downing. And these home movies were in color and showed Hitler and high-ranking officials drinking coffee, eating cake, joking, playing with children, etc. Not oh my the God. image portrayed by his propaganda team. These show Hitler as, you know, a normal man, and it makes him even more chilling. Ava and him, or Eva and him, seem so ordinary in these photos and movies. So this, you said this was something that was part of the propaganda or no, they weren't. So they want, you know, like they, they, they couldn't, you know, like Hitler, it just wasn't, it was more intimate, you know, movies. That's the, the point of them. They show more intimate movements and these little home movies, you know, show Hitler joking with children and like, okay. you know, not as this austere man. And it's really, really creepy. And you can see these online and oh, like, I'm not, I'm not so suggesting creepy. people to go and watch them, but I was just like, it's just, it's just really weird. She obsessively 
cataloged him and really obsessively photographed herself in him. Yeah. It's like when you see like Ted Bundy with like his girlfriend's child and you're like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, if you didn't know who these people were, you probably wouldn't think anything of the fact that they're just talking to kids and you're like that person murdered 11 million people. Like, right. Yes. Yeah. And it's like I say, many of the photos she took of Hitler and high-ranking officials were sold to Heinrich Hoffman for extremely high prices. She continued to receive money from Hoffman until 1935. Um, during this time, she was also given the status position. It was just kind of like, you know, a fake position of private secretary to Hitler, which was a way for her to enter and leave his private residences with more ease. Okay. Um, her diary entries for 1935 suggests that even by this stage, his interest in her had not shown signs of deepening. So this was, you know, three years into their relationship. On a completely different note, recently some of her diary entries have been discovered. They're not complete. So, you know, we just have to do with what we have. But some of them say, why do I have to go through all this? She writes of his continual absences. If only I had never set eyes on him. I am utterly miserable. I shall go out and buy some more sleeping powder and go into a dreamlike state. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, As Hitler was very busy destroying the world, he had little time for Eva. She made her second suicide attempt in May 1935 when she overdosed on sleeping pills. This is said to be directly because Hitler was failing to make time for her. This second attempt worked for her. Hitler provided her and her sister Gretel with a spacious apartment in Munich, as reported by Laura Shapiro in the book What She Ate, with monogrammed linen, a maid, special deliveries of freshly plundered Ukrainian bacon, and a cellar bubbling with Moet et Chandon, and later a villa in Bogenhausen and her own apartment at the New Reich Chancellery in Berlin. I feel like that's just giving her all those things is like positive reinforcement. Exactly. Her trying to commit suicide, like she tries to kill herself and then he's like, oh, here's all these things you can have now and you have my attention. Exactly. And, and then, yeah, and then his attention wanes because he's, you know, busy running the world. People. Yeah. yeah. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to kill myself again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Right? Two suicide attempts in three years is really something to think about. Yeah. And uh, we all know that Hitler was not an easy man to love for obvious reasons. But here are some other reasons why it was hard to love him and why you wonder why she was so devoted to him. He had bad teeth, bad breath, (laughs) chronic flatulence, and other stomach problems. Yeah, he had chronic, he couldn't hold in his farts. I'm thinking of flaccidness. <laughs> I mean, probably both, but either one of those is like a problem. And it said that he was also a hypochondriac and he had a horrible sleeping schedule where he stayed up until dawn and slept into the afternoon. And he was often subject to screaming rages. I mean, that, yeah. we all know that, right? Well, yeah. And again... She had to put up with them never appearing as a a couple in public. And as a member of Hoffman's staff, she attended one of the yearly Nuremberg rallies. In 1935, Hitler's half-sister Angela, his former lover's Geli's mother, the one who committed suicide, so his sister Angela, the mother, Rabal, created some drama because Eva was there. It is surmised because she knew the position that Eva held with Hitler. Even though Eva was blood, Hitler dismissed her from his household. From then on, Eva was house? seen as yeah. He he sent his sister away because she disagreed with. Oh wait, where he sent his sister away, not Eva. Yeah, he sent his sister Angela away 
because she disagreed with Eva being there. And after this incident, Eva was seen as untouchable by the rest of Hitler's staff and entourage. So that just kind of like cemented her. Exactly, exactly. And actually there are accounts of him directly or indirectly threatening execution if anyone revealed his relationship with Eva. Oh my God. Okay, so like we've all been with that guy who's been like, oh, well, we can't go public. We have to keep it a secret, blah, blah, blah. Can you imagine being with someone that's like, I will kill anyone if if they find out, if you tell them that like I'm dating so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I mean, it's not strange that many of his entourage and his cronies hated her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think they would hate him, but. Right. No, but they can, you know, it's always. Yeah, it's, always no, it's transferred. It's transference. Mm-hmm. Um, when Eva's sister Gretel married Herman Flegelein, the SS liaison officer to Heinrich Himmler, which we all know as the main architect of the Holocaust. Oh, Heinrich Himmler. I just, I just realized who that is. I Did you ever watch um, The Man in the High Castle? Mm-mm. Okay, it's really good. You should watch it. But on the, the Heinrich Himmler, like, it's basically based on an alternate reality where if Hitler had won the war. And oh, so, it's like, yeah, it's in the 1960s. But so in this, Hitler dies in, like, the 60s, and Himmler is the one that takes, takes over his Yeah. Well, I mean, that. yeah, he was the architect of the Holocaust, so. Yeah. It's really, you should watch the show. It's really good. I okay. will definitely. You're going to send it to me. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. It's it's very intense, but it's like one of those shows that I think it's really good to watch because you're like, this is what like, themes are very prevalent in our current. Like they're just always prevalent, mm-hmm. and you have to pay attention to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. <laughs> Learn from our history. <laughs> yeah, don't let it happen again. <laughs> Yeah, but um, so when Eva's sister married Heinrich Himmler's SS liaison officer, she was able to go out in public, like to these functions now where she really didn't have a place before because she was um, Heinrich or Hermann Flegelein, the SS liaison officer to Heinrich Himmler. She was introduced as, oh, the sister-in-law, not as... Hitler's mistress. So she was able to go to these public functions where anyone before would be like, why are you there? You have no reason for being there. This is like, you know, political offices only. He really kept it under wraps. So this is where we're going to get into why the story of Eva is really complicated and where all these accounts differ. So she was, again, we know that she was not known to the world until her death as Hitler's wife and mistress. Um, what was known of her for many decades following her death was either propagandistic or was an account from people who held very little interest in her. And as we know, many of Hitler's entourage and his cronies hated her. No one, understandably, also wanted to know further of the mistress slash wife of one of the worst people in history. Decades of healing had to happen before people could get there. In many accounts, again, I think we could kind of, you know, we're all thinking this. uh, She lives the life of a modern influencer, being extremely obsessed with photographs and capturing that. And again, I will also, she lived a very sheltered and privileged life. If she was now, she would just be like Instagramming everything they did. She'd live in the hype house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she lived a very privileged and sheltered life within Hitler's compounds and apartments. She did love sports, clothes, makeup, cinema, etc. Her two Scottish terriers, Nagus and Stotzi, were her two great loves in her life. And 
she's pictured with them often. I mean, I get that. With Hitler doting on his German shepherd Blondie and Ava doting on her terriers, they seem very much like people that don't have children that dote on their dogs a lot. You know, they just, and they're, they're pictured with their dogs, like dressing them up and stuff. It's very weird. Ooh, I don't like that though. I don't want to give them one thing to relate to me on. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have dressed all my animals up on separate occasions, but still like. You're not Hitler. No. Yep. And uh, she loved to shop and she had a huge collection of shoes. And for some reason, this is a trait that a lot of wives of dictators share. If you look up, um, again, like I, I, what is her name? Imelda, the wife of the dictator of the Philippines. Obviously, no. they're not anymore. She had like, what was it? It was like 3,000 pairs of shoes, something insane. So it's like actually a very common trait among the wives of dictators to have this enormous collection of shoes. Eva loved makeup, hair dye, and perfume, all of which Hitler hated. I think a lot of a lot of that is that like women like that too are also in the public eye a lot. You look at the first ladies and stuff, they're not asking like what are your opinions on this policy or what? It's like what outfit are you wearing to this? And who are you wearing? And what? Right. Well, and Eva had to fill some sort of void because she couldn't ever appear in public as Hitler's wife. So she held this, like she held this position, which among the right people, quote unquote, the right people was seen as like an extremely high level of esteem. Like she was at the position that many women wanted to be at, you know, and and she couldn't say anything. If you're going to appear in public, then you want to be known for something. If it's not going to be known for like, being with your lover. So you might as well know for being like fashionable. Or- mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely. And like I was saying, she, she loved makeup, hair dye, and perfume. Hitler hated, but she got away with that, but she could not get away with smoking. He found it too distasteful. Yeah. Oh, okay. She loved to smoke and dance and do all the normal things that everyone wanted to do. But yeah, uh, especially in the beginning half of their relationship, while she was wistfully waiting for visits from him, she was said to change her clothes seven times a day and do other things reminiscent of a woman on the edge. Oh she my was, God, I do that. Right? Yeah. And like, but like I was saying, she was really young though for these accounts and she really seemed pathetic to historians because of this, but I really feel like sometimes her age wasn't taken into account. Uh, early accounts from British historians like Ian Kershaw portray her as a woman whose remarkable quality was her vacuity, her emptiness, her blondness. Albert Speer said history would be very disappointed in her. They said that she was not a partner in crime. It was known that Hitler hated women interfering with his work. So it was said that she could not have known any details. Uh, She was portrayed as a ridiculous figure who hardly knew anything about the course of events around her. She was apart from Hitler's political activities. So she existed in a sphere outside of his, you know, like his political one. Yeah, but but at the same time, like he wasn't like, it wasn't like one of those like murderer's wives where they had no idea because. Exactly. I'll get into that because this is the early accounts. This is why, like I said, she's like a really interesting because back then, the evilness was shown in how passive she was while the world starved and crumbled. She was worried about, you know, the only incident reported like in the decades after her death that which she reportedly showed political interest is when Germany went to a total war economy and makeup and beauty products were banned and she became indignant. (laughs) So you're not going to get mad about, you know, genocide, but you're makeup on. (laughs) And uh, in the book, What She Ate, um, it is said that Eva blossomed when she was allowed to play host this for Hitler's inner circle. The intimate luncheons and dinners she planned were so important to her because it was where she was able to play her role as the mistress of Germany. 
in his memoir, Albert Speer, a regular guest of the Berghof, described the ritual of pre-lunch drinks on the terrace. Uh, Attendants in their full-on livery, you know, like full-on dress with impeccable manners, would hand out champagne, cognac, vermouth, soda, and fruit juice to the ladies stretched out on reclining chairs. Again, like a modern influencer today, her relationship with food was troublesome, and she said often that its only job was to keep her thin. On the food front, the one thing she truly despised about Hitler was his vegetarian diet, <laughs> which that seemed really, really weirdly un-German, especially for back then, because, you know, German how, food is... How do you eat vegetarian as a... Ger- like When, like, your world is sausages. <laughs> Yeah, potatoes and sauerkraut, maybe. Right. And also, it's okay. It also seems really weird to be vegetarian when you are a literal mass murderer. Remember, I like, said that he was a hypochondriac and he had stomach problems. So oh, maybe it was like, probably didn't want to fart, but like <laughs> I feel like he might fart more. Yeah, it wasn't like he was like I'm worried about the animals. He was like I'm farting all the time. I need to try something else. And um, she was also said to have loved her champagne. She drank every day and everywhere. I mean. It passed- and like passive, faithful, and decorative. She lived in a world of make-believe morality, right, Shapiro? I don't know if that's one, but but is how people saw her, if that's one facet. I like to believe that's a facet of her. It was not until Heike Gordemacher's book, Eva Braun, Life with Hitler, came out in 2011, which argued against her as being seen as an inconsequential blonde. Gorda Mocker argued that she was not a background figure and that just because she did not directly assist with the decision making, she should still be held accountable of her worldviews. And as a photographer, it can be argued that she contributed to Nazi propaganda. Mm hmm. And on History.net, Gornemacher says, over the 14-year span of her relationship with Hitler, Braun developed a very important role within the inner circle. She changed from a rather shy and insecure person into a determined woman, a capricious, uncompromising champion of absolute loyalty to the dictator. You know, so it's like, and so that's what was really strange is like accounts of her for decade almost absolved her of like, the position that she held. It was like, she's just a dumb blonde. She didn't know what was going on. She just happened to be there. Her worst thing was that she wanted all the makeup and all the whatever in the world. And she just wasn't paying attention to what was going on. But then it actually has come out that she actually held a really strong, although private position in Hitler's life. And that people who were trying to get close to him or wanted a conversation with him would try to get on her good side before Hitler's. I think, yeah, I think I would believe in like, a ladder where she would portray herself as a woman that doesn't know anything. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing as like Elaine Maxwell, right? Like she portrayed herself like she denies and everybody that was involved in Epstein denied it. They were like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that was going on. But it's like, of course, you're going to say that when everybody is finally chastising these people and finding out that they're monsters. But like Mm -hmm. it's also in history, like we all we always have a hard time casting like we're, we're we're very first to condemn women for certain things but like when it comes to like accusing women of crimes we tend to sometimes have a harder time i think that it's worth looking at you know looking at the past of what's happening in their life and like looking at everything and understanding that but then also realizing that like given all that doesn't you can, give you, you an excuse to be time. like a shit yeah. person yeah right. definitely right. Yeah, like, I understand, like, being young and all that stuff. And, like, Hitler obviously wasn't a good boyfriend. But you can also not 
be party to like mass genocide and stuff. Well. Did you ever think you'd say Hitler and boyfriend in the same sentence? I did not. <laughs> I sure didn't. Right? And along that note, it was even said that if you did not get along with Eva, you would not be invited to one of Hitler's dinners or even to his residence at the Berghof. And although she was... meant a lot to him. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, yeah. And like, they actually said that she, you know, even in that book, they said that she actually provided a lot of psychological support for Hitler and that they retired together at the end of every day and that, you know, in a way she was his stable rock while he was causing the world to spin around him. Yeah, it goes back to that quote that you said at the beginning that I like a lot. That Humanizes men and dehumanizes women. Their love for... Yep, yep. And um, although she was not part of the Nazi party, because she wasn't a member of the Nazi party, she clearly supported his policies, um, like the prosecution of the Jewish people. She was not an innocent bystander. And spoiler alert, she died next to him because he was her hero. That kind of like unfailing loyalty where you're able to like tunnel vision and only see that person and like literally everything. Her life revolved around one person. One person. Yeah. Yep. She, um, her family, you mentioned her sister. Her parents, did they have contact with her? Or did you read anything about that? Yeah, so I mean, like, I mean, her. she really sought no advancement for her family. And her oldest sister was had nothing to do with her, like was not part of the Nazi party. Her youngest sister married into the Nazi party. Her accounts of her family really don't start until after she dies. And then um, we'll just get a little bit into Hitler's sex life, which, of course, was Eva Braun's sex life. Um, There's so many contrasting accounts because his sexuality has long been debated. There was reports of him being gay, reports of him being a pedophile. Um, There was even reports that Eva became so sexually frustrated with Hitler that she acts. Uh, Hitler's physician to give him hormone injections to increase his libido. Take this horny goat weed. (laughs) Right? Totally. (laughs) Let's give Germany a child. Oh, God. One of Hitler's former lovers, actress Renata Mueller, spread rumors about how Hitler enjoyed self-abasement and that he asked her to kick him as he knelt submissively before her. Uh, There was also the claim that the dictator forced his niece, Gelly, the one that committed suicide, to urinate and defecate on him. I could see that. Yeah, right? It's like, nobody's surprised at these. No. Gorda Macher, in her book, Eva Braun, A Life with Hitler, claims that Braun and Hitler had a normal sex life and that they had interconnecting bedrooms at the Berghof and that Hitler's valet attests that they would go to bed together. Uh, It seems that he sexually lost some interest when war broke out. We can hope that it's because of guilt, but probably not. He's just probably... No, I don't think he had any guilt. Right? Interconnecting bedrooms does sound amazing, though. Right? Totally, because it's like... You get your own bed. They're right there. I think I just take naps and then sleep together. (laughs) Yeah. You could have, like, two king-size beds kind of next to each other, and then you could cuddle, but then it's time you could just go to your own bed and then cuddle with the dogs. See, I told you they had they had something right. <laughs> that when I become rich, I'm gonna think I'm gonna have that. I'm gonna have three beds. Emily's like I- Emily's like first. It's gonna start off as interconnecting bedrooms, then interconnecting wings, then interconnecting houses. Yes, I mean I love that, and I like sleeping in the same bed. With him, but there is something to be said about having your own bed. The dog and I take up the whole king size bed just the two of us yep so like we all get really Same here crowded. the baby and i take up the whole bed it's very nice sleeping with your partner but like having the bed with your 
child or like animal child. <laughs> it's nice. You get to spread out. You don't have to like share. So yeah, monsters, but I get the second bedroom thing. <laughs> um, and then there's like the one reported incident um, by Bronze Friends. Describe her giggling over a photograph of like a famous actor or musician or whoever he's from the 30s so i have no idea sitting on a sofa in hitler's munich flat and she was like giggling over the photo and was like if only the guy knew what that goings on that sofa has seen Ooh. right i know right so like this actor was sitting on where hitler had yeah it's just gross uh, sitting on hitler's sperm no oh god right yep real cute so let's go ahead and get into the last bit of this story um eva braun was very calm in her last days and months in April 1945, she went to be with Hitler in the Führen bunker, which was a subterranean bunker complex, so underground, uh, almost underground. Uh, it actually became the center of the Nazi regime, and she refused to leave as the Red Army of the USSR closed in. She's quoted okay. as saying, Do you think I would let him die alone? I will stay up with him until the last moment. After midnight on the 29th of April, they married in a small civil ceremony as witnessed by Joseph Goebbels, which was, he was the Reich Minister of Propaganda and Martin Bormann. She wore her husband's favorite black dress, Italian shoes, diamond watch, and her hair was done. She legally changed her name to Eva Hitler. On her marriage certificate, she began signing her last name with a B for Braun and crossed it out to write Hitler. She waited 15 years for this moment and was Frau Hitler for one night. Hitler was quoted as once saying there are two ways of judging a man's character, by the woman he marries and the way he dies. He went unmarried until the day before his death and their honeymoon was suicide. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry, I love twisting people's quotes back on themselves. It brought me such joy. (laughs) I I really liked their honeymoon was suicide. good line right was he like okay we're gonna die in a day but like i'll finally marry you and she was was like okay cool like i've been wanting to get married yeah Yeah. it was planned yeah so they said goodbye to everybody and then at 3 30 p.m on april 30th a loud gunshot was heard when the valet entered the study he found the lifeless bodies of mr and mrs hitler he had shot himself and she had bit into a cyanide capsule it has been suggested that she did this because she was vain until the end concerned about her appearance the cyanide was in the form of liquid prussic acid and was actually a favored suicide agent for the Third Reich. Hermann Goring and Heinrich Himmler actually committed suicide the exact same way with the exact same acid. Cyanide, like, it's pretty quick too, right? I Again, I was trying to, like, really, really research, and they really don't have the exact what happens when that exact type of cyanide. Yeah, so I've actually done research on cyanide before for one of my classes, and... From what I understand, just in cyanide in general, is that it stops your uh, cells from being able to get energy from oxygen. So your muscles stop being able to get oxygen. I believe your brain goes first and your heart, so you lose consciousness, and then you go into cardiac arrest. Mm. And I assume it was probably a super high dose, so this probably killed her within a couple minutes, if not seconds. Yeah, so she died via suicide. It's very all Romeo and Juliet-esque of the Nazi regime, and their bodies were burned in the garden because Hitler was terrified that the Red Army would take his body and display it in Moscow. So are we sure that they're dead? Yeah. <laughs> I know there's there's all that stuff, but yeah, there was like, they, they examined dental records and yeah, the rest of Eva's family survived her. Her mom actually lived up until the age 96. Oh, wow. 
You know, because Eva died at what, like age 34 or 35, something like that. Her sister, um, Gretel, the one who married that SS liaison officer, actually gave birth to a daughter who was born five days after Eva committed suicide and she named her Eva. Oh, uh, that would be I mean, the most stressful pregnancy ever, especially because yeah. her sister Gretel's husband was shot for trying to abandon the, you know, he was finally like, oh, crap. The Nazi regime's horrible. It's going to fall. And I have a pregnant wife. So she lost her husband and her sister and then like her brother-in-law. She lost. So Gretel, her sister, yeah. lost her husband and right. her sister and the fear. Yeah. And her brother. Oh my gosh. Hitler is your brother-in-law. Sorry. That's I couldn't even, I couldn't even no, re- I register that. I couldn't even register that. Yeah. It's all within like while you're nine months pregnant. Yep. And um, this is a very controversial thing to say, but I think you can draw a ton of comparisons to Melania Trump from Eva. I don't think that's controversial at all. I just, I really, really do. There was just so many. And actually in, um, when I was listening to a podcast by, uh, the bloody podcast, it's called the bloody podcast and they have a warlord wives installation the comparisons that were drawn between Melania Trump and Eva Braun, Eva Braun were just so chilling. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've read articles about that too, where, you know, people have been very quick. Like even I have been like, you know, said that like free Melania and that, you know, she's, she's not complicit. And we, I think so often want to believe that, that she's not, com- but I, she is, but she is complicit. And there's no way that you can be with someone like that and not be complicit, you know? And, and, I think that we want to, like, as a society, believe that women are not terrible monsters and that they're just like these soft lambs that, and and a lot, and you know, in many, many, many cases, that is true. There's a lot of people that don't know and a lot of people that are in abusive relationships, and I'm not negating that, but... Um, in these cases, I think that there are, I agree with you, there are a lot of similarities. And mm-hmm. I, I especially think like think of how we see Melania Trump, you know, she's just like a beautiful face. She's just like someone, she doesn't really have a political stance. She really doesn't seem to be a part of Donald Trump's political sphere. She doesn't seem to be any part of his decision making. I mean, I honestly don't even really see her as a first woman. No. Ivanka pops up more as a, a first lady, almost more than melania does so we want to believe that she's not because that's the easier thing and we want to have someone to try to like save and feel like we need to save but it's just like you are complicit and you know you may not be as terrible a monster but you're still you're still there and that's not to say that every woman that is married to a terrible man or an abusive man is the same you know no no and that's not what we're saying but no we're just drawing comparisons between two dictators yeah 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 just two extremely powerful men and they're seemingly submissive partners yeah i guess uh if you are listening to this podcast and you are a trump supporter you may not like it (laughs) and you may not want to (laughs) listen to the rest of our podcast (laughs) so yeah yeah or you could just, you know, you can listen, listen to different viewpoints like we yeah, all should. Anyone, anyone is more than welcome to listen to this podcast. And we love all of our listeners if we have any. Um, Hi, mom. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so, well, Hi, I think mom. that's it. That's it for this week. Um, yeah. Good job. You did a really uh, good job. Woo-hoo! She's out of the way. Let's focus on more happier women.
Oh yeah. I think, I think the first two episodes were real loads. Oh yeah. I think our next ones are, are going to be a little bit lighter. So thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week. Cue outro music. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Our music is by Lloyd Rogers, and our cover art and our editing is by us. If you enjoyed listening, we would be tickled if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always email us at harlotsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We will do our best to respond with something cute, snarky, or boring. We are also on Instagram and Twitter as Harlots of History. We love you all, even the haters. Bye!